the hustle was so real and the interactions and the pressure and the busyness, the craziness, like I kind of really was pulled towards that. It's just something that I actually enjoyed rather than shied away from. Uh, because I guess it just keeps me very preoccupied and keeps me very energized and stimulated. So I jumped on it and I decided to do what I was reading about and hearing about online, which is try to connect with the people who are doing things that you want to be doing and asking them for advice, asking them what you could be doing differently, keep in contact with the leadership and make sure they know and aware that you want to get to certain levels and that you're working towards that trying to ask them for coffee for five minutes. And people don't think about this. I think people think that only if you're an internship or you're in a corporate environment, could you take these steps to for quote unquote, your success. Hello, my friends. I'm your host, Victor Rampadrat. Welcome to the show where we share the lived experiences of ordinary people just like you. We're amplifying your voice to provide a different perspective on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Our goal is simple. Humanize DEI so we can move closer to a culture of belonging and respect. Today, my guest went from being a busboy to becoming a vice president on Wall Street. In 2021, he walked away from it all to pursue his passions around inner wealth. I met Ronnie Gianni on LinkedIn after he discovered my passion project for my daughter, Maya. Ronnie is a dad himself of two little girls, so I guess that makes us a couple of girl dads. Ronnie, welcome to the show. How's it going today, my friend? It's going very well, man. I'm feeling blessed, and thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you taking out the time, and um, your your teammates, Kayla, has been awesome in organizing everything, so thank you to her as well. Absolutely, man. We appreciate you coming on and sharing a little bit of your story, but I've got a quick question. Before the show, you sent Kayla some information to look over as well as a, a recent podcast that you did. And one of the things that I heard was your pronunciation of your name. And it was, I thought it was Gianni. The host thought it was Gianni, which is a very popular Italian yeah. last name. Yeah. Question, just so I know, and I can be respectful of yourself and, and, and your name. Is it Gianni or Gianni? It's Gianni. It is Gianni. Okay, yeah. perfect. Yeah. And and I got a question for you, man. Brown man to brown man, because you know my name is Vishal, yeah. but I go by Victor professionally because I had a lot of challenges when doing work in the U.S. where people couldn't say my name or pronounce it properly. Yeah. Is Ronnie your birth name or is that your given name? It's not my birth name or my given name. It's just an American name I was given when I was very young. Because believe it or not, my actual name is Gunwarjit, K-A-N-W-A-R-J-I-T. And we can get into all, you know, shame and covering and all these different things growing up in New York with that name and being so afraid for anyone to actually like know that that was my name and how weird it sounded and how awkward it made people feel to just hear that name. I mean... A decade went on where I, I would run up to the teacher to make sure they don't say that in attendance before they got to know me. I mean, wow. it was it was it was weird. It was weird. Well, let's kick it back to Queens, New York. Let's talk about you know childhood growing up. Uh, you know, I think based on what I heard, your parents were immigrants, and you were born here shortly after they got here. So, so tell me about that experience and sort of growing up in in New York and what that was like with an immigrant family, work ethic. I know that story, but maybe share a little bit about your story. 
Sure. I thank you for asking, man. I, I come from very humble beginnings in Flushing, Queens in New York. A um, lot of just surrounded by hundreds and thousands of immigrant families all around us from all the different walks of life. Uh, mom and dad came here in 85, a year before I was born. And actually, believe it or not, the street we grew up on, my father was shot twice working at a deli down the street while I was still in my mom's stomach. And they were only a few months into being in America, in New York. And somehow, some way, he survived. I mean, it, it was it was pretty wild over there um, coming up early on. And I didn't even know because I wasn't even born yet, right? Um, so I can't even imagine, like, the cha- I can only think, but I can't imagine or put my sh- myself in their shoes of the challenges they faced. And I try to remind myself that now when I get really stressed out or worked up and how blessed we actually are to not have to deal with things like that on a daily basis. Um, mom and dad worked two, three jobs. I was with a local nanny who was like, a, became an auntie of mine. And, um, believe it or not, our sister stayed with her grandparents in India for a couple of years because there's no way they could manage daycare for both of us at that time. And then she came in a few years later. I mean, work ethic, it's, it's very straightforward. I just watched my parents grind their faces off. So by the time I was 13, I was working and I was just thinking that that's just kind of normal, that you just work a lot and you hustle a lot to get what you want. And that, I think, just boded very well for me between the ages of 13 to now turning 35 this year. I've (laughs) worked pretty much that entire time with with some vacations in between. um, And I've had the privilege of blessing of being a busboy and learning that hard hustle early on in college, working through all of college and then working on Wall Street, starting small businesses, getting into charitable work. I mean, we can get into any of it, uh, but that's kind of like a gist uh, of things. And and then having the blessing of opening and operating a couple small businesses in New York City as well over time. Um, but yeah, I mean, happy to jump into yeah. any of that. Else. I mean, and, and that's the thing. I, we, we've only got max an hour. And I think if, if we yeah. really dug into everything you've accomplished at such a young age, I mean, we would need a lot more time than that. But, uh, you know, one of the things that sort of resonated with me was was my parents had told me a story. I was born in 83 and they told me a story about going to New York City in the you know mid 80s and there was a, I guess, you know, just like in anywhere that's new to you, there's no GPS at that time. You pull over, you ask some people for some directions. And the guy says to my dad, do you know where you are? And do you want me to slit your throat? And wow. he never returned to New York City after that. That was the last time he went. He's like, I don't ever want to go there again. And, you know, in the 80s, New York had a pretty bad rap yeah. for sort of like, violence and and gang violence and all that type of stuff so it's crazy to hear that your dad was shot like that's not a joke but it's like here you are you're brand new to a country your wife is pregnant with your son and you're just at your job and you get shot like that's that's crazy yeah and it was literally him reaching for a bag to give the guy who was mugging the deli some cash to put in the bag and he thought my dad was reaching for the gun which is unfortunately how these things generally happen Definitely, definitely. So talk about sort of, you know, you go through that period of of being teased and having to run up to the teacher. What was that like? I mean, growing up with a name that didn't quite fit the cultural norm. Yeah, I think at an early age, I started covering. 
I started being shameful of my background and my culture because I had such an ethnic name and, and not to blame anyone else. I didn't get any sort of reinforcement on actually how that should actually be celebrated rather than hidden. Right. And then what happens is you get surrounded by these, all these societal pressures and you're different than many other folks. So then that amplifies. And then that, unless you get some sort of, and I think about this a lot with our daughters now is if you don't have those discussions and positive reinforcements about sharing about how that's what makes you unique rather than uh, different in a bad way that tends to amplify. So that was pretty stressful for me young growing up because I would always be afraid that someone would hear my name and make fun of it or make fun of me or look at me negatively. Um, and it's funny because almost every time there was a new teacher and I told them that they always, almost always forgot that I just told them that five minutes before attendance and then said the name and made me feel a certain way. But uh, nonetheless, it, it's something I'm proud of now. And it just took a really long time to kind of realize that, you know, and thankfully we've been able to give our daughters some traditional Punjabi names and I'm really proud of them now. So it's kind of the opposite effect. And hopefully, you know, we'll be able to talk to them about that over the years because it's not going to sound like a traditional American name, right? That's interesting. So, so when you and your wife were naming your daughters, you actually chose like to say, "Hey, listen, we want you to have traditional Punjabi names." That's that was the thought process. Exactly right, and, and it's interesting because I thought my wife would kind of think the opposite, just in general, just so it's easier for them, just so to speak. And she was actually more like, "Well." I didn't grow up with a lot of culture and I would prefer that they have some of that. And through you, we can bring that in. So let's focus on this and try to get some unique cultural names that we both like as well, in addition to providing that to them. Um, and then it came to like a medium with providing them an American middle name, should they choose to use gotcha. it. So it's kind of, kind of and then the Ghani. At that the makes end, a so. lot of sense. And I only ask because it's interesting to me that, I mean, we didn't know each other until sort of that whole interaction on LinkedIn. We've only had one conversation and then, you know, maybe a couple messages back and forth after the fact. But the stories are very similar. Like, you know, when I first got to Canada, um, my Caucasian babysitter gave me the name Victor. And when I started sort of going through the business world, I readopted the name and to this point, I almost feel like people don't even know me as my real name unless they've intersected with me at a, a point in my life before I adopted that name. And it's just interesting yeah. where people are like, who is Victor? And some people are like, who are who's Vishal? And when we were naming our daughter, we had the opposite experience where it was like, we want her to have a name where she feels like she fits in and belongs because those very same feelings that you talk about, I had as well where you don't feel like you fit yeah. in and belong. So I just think it's crazy that we live in two separate places. I'm in Canada, you're in the US, you know, but yet yeah. our experiences are so similar. So you're going through this whole getting to work, becoming this busboy, really putting in work and effort while going through college. Did you know where you wanted to end up when you were doing that? Or was it just like, let's put in the work and see where this goes? I was just working really hard at the restaurant and I had goals of working up to the bar. So there was like four different levels of getting up to the bar because it's a bit of a high-end restaurant. So you had to be a busboy, then become a server, then become a service bartender, and then you had to become a bartender in order to go in those steps. And it took a while to get up there. So when I showed up, I was like, well, I got my bartending license. I'm 18. I'm ready to go. And literally they laughed at me saying, you're going to have to start as a busboy. If you even think that you're even going to be a server, that's a joke. 
So I kind of was kind of put in my place at that point and decided, let's give it a shot. And the hustle was so real and the interactions and the pressure and the busyness, the craziness, like I kind of really was pulled towards that. It's just something that I actually enjoyed rather than shied away from. Uh, because I guess it just keeps me very preoccupied and keeps me very energized and stimulated. So I jumped on it and I decided to do what I was reading about and hearing about online, which is try to connect with the people who are doing things that you want to be doing and asking them for advice, asking them what you could be doing differently, keep in contact with the leadership and make sure they know and aware that you want to get to certain levels and that you're working towards that trying to ask them for coffee for five minutes. And people don't think about this. I think people think that only if you're an internship or you're in a corporate environment, could you take these steps to for quote unquote your success. But believe it or not, if you, if you go to leadership, if you go to people who are doing what you want to be doing, it actually is adaptable in any working environment whatsoever. Perfect example, even as a busboy. Because you're showing initiative, you're showing interest, you're showing, um, you're showing uh, vision, right? And people cling to that. And thankfully, I connected with some managers and some people in leadership who who saw that and kept giving me more, giving me more responsibility. Wow, that's awesome, um, man! Like you just you took initiative and you did what you needed to do, and and you and you put in the work ethic that you saw your parents put in, right? Like, I mean. Totally. And, and, and what was interesting was I was going to school full time in the city and I was working in Long Island. So that's about like an hour and a half difference. So I was taking a train back and forth and working both at the same time. And my goal at that time, in addition for working hard at the restaurant and succeeding there was to get an internship in finance on Wall Street. Even unpaid was acceptable because I was going to a city college. So you'd be lucky to get a, you know, a, a paid or unpaid internship at a high end bank, let's say. Right. So I, I truly feel that what you put out into the universe comes back at you tenfold. And what I was putting out was positive energy, hard work, direction, vision, goals, all these things. And it just so happens that one of my guests at the bar after I got there, after three years of working myself up all those roles, one of the older gentlemen that came there with his wife once a week and was pretty quiet into himself, he was just like, hey, Ronnie, what are you doing with your life? And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm working hard. I'm here making it happen. And he goes, no, no, no. I mean, outside of here, you're obviously going places. You're doing things, right? And I'm like, well, I'm in college. I'm having a really tough time finding an internship. And he gave me a phone number and he said, call this number on Monday. Her name is Jane, I believe her name was. And I called on Monday. I, was, I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't expect anything of it. And she's like, hey, um, you're starting at Citigroup Smith Barney um, unpaid internship program with you know, 30 other in the class in about 20 days. Just send me your license and we'll get you all set up. And I didn't even ask. For, I mean, I told him that's what I wanted to do. And it just it just came. And that's where. It so all you're started. saying you went from busboy, worked your way up to bartender. A gentleman would come in once a week. I'm sure you created some rapport and relationship with this individual. Yeah. And he says, call this number. Yeah. You call and you already are granted into this internship program on Wall Street. Just yes. like that. And when I showed up, there was about 30, mostly men, but a few women as well, kids in the room, all, you know, in college doing their thing. And I would say I was the 1% diversity in the room. It was 99% wow. non-diverse. 
I was the one who stood out in the room. Well, I was just like, going to ask sure. that because typical Wall Street, when you think about it back in those days, you don't really think about people that look like you and I, right? So, I mean, you jump in there, you are definitely different than everyone else. And, you know, there's also the equity aspect of it with male to female. But I mean, you're a male, but you're a brown male, right? So sure. you, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah. How did that make you feel in the very beginning as you were starting to move through the ranks uh, within that very first job? I, I, I was definitely self-conscious pretty often to make sure that I don't stand out in a negative way, that I stand out in a positive way, right? And a lot of my thoughts and energy and passion went towards that, unfortunately, which it really shouldn't have, should have gone more towards the work. But I made sure that I kept reminding myself of where I want to go with this and where I want to be with this, not just this is going to be challenging, right? So the way I did that was that, again, I connected with the people who I wanted to be like, who inspired me in the workplace, who I saw doing things that I want to be doing, achieving things, having conversations in the background that I want to be having and asking them questions, asking them for coffee. And bouncing ideas off of them and making sure I told them, hey, if you need help with something, even if I'm working on something else, maybe I can take it on next week or something like that. And I made sure my presentation from what I'm wearing to how I'm dressed to having a fresh haircut every week, like just staying on top of all these things so that everyone knows I have the vision, I have the goal, and I'm taking this very seriously, even though I'm doing, you know, working full time outside of this, et cetera, et cetera. And that generally boded well to, to, to get to where I wanted to go next. And it was hard, man. It, it was, it was, it definitely wasn't easy. That's for sure. Well, you know, and I can tell anyone cause I started my career pretty early as well. And I had to make a lot of those same changes. So it's, it's so, like I said, the intersectionality between our stories is absolutely crazy. Yeah. One of the cool things that I remember uh, you bring up on our very first call is that you actually worked with Canada's largest bank and, and, and you were in their Manhattan office and that's Royal Bank of Canada. And I believe yeah. you told me you held a D&I role there. Um, do you want to yeah. maybe dig into a little bit about that? Because that was way before some of these conversations that are happening today, um, which yeah. I think is super cool. And I know that I've been a part of a lot of the D&I work uh, happening in Canada way before anyone's really been talking about it uh, as of recently, uh, post-2020. So tell me about what yeah. that experience was uh, working with Royal Bank in that role. Yeah, so uh, thanks for bringing that up. It's actually pretty interesting because before I even got into the employee resource groups, that led to me being a diversity officer at the Royal Bank of Canada's investment banking division, which is RBC Capital Markets. I actually was accepted into a diversity internship program that RBC decided to participate in, which actually is what got me there. So gotcha. it, it's actually pretty interesting how it all kind of went full circle because then I was happy to be a part of shepherding that effort or being an officer in that effort once RBC decided to make it, make employee resource groups, start talking about diversity and inclusion and making this an important part of, you know, their daily operations, right? And should I have not been there or they didn't participate in the diversity internship program, you know, I probably wouldn't have been in that position, you know, two, three years into my role, right? Uh, so... So yeah, so, so they participated in a diversity internship program that was partnered with New York State, where you do six months at a New York State municipality as a part of the diversity internship program, where the state allows folks through who are diverse to have opportunities on Wall Street, where they partner with banks who say, we'll take the individual on for an additional six months, 
with the hopes that they get a position on the private side, not on the public side. So it's a pretty amazing program that's set up by the state to, to help foster diversity on Wall Street, right? And that. yeah, and, and the banks, the four or five, JP Morgan, at that time, JP Morgan, our Royal Bank of Canada, Wells Fargo, and there was another diverse firm. And they all participated in it and they're partnering with New York State on a lot of large transactions. So they're also incentivized to kind of participate in the program. So it's kind of like a win-win. And then I knew once again, once I get to RBC, I have to work my face off, connect with the right people, and make sure that six months feels like I worked there for 12 months. Right. So that's how it all that's how it all started there. And made the connections, worked my face off, make sure I knew that the management knew that I, my vision and my goals was to become an analyst there and then work myself up the ranks from there in the investment banking division. And sorry, go ahead. You had a question. No, no, I was going to say, what year was that? So here's the, here's the most interesting, one of the most interesting challenges at that time. It was 08, 09 during the financial collapse. So I must have applied for 45, 50 jobs in paid, unpaid, anything finance related because I was graduating and I would, did four years in the restaurant. I was like, I got to get in somewhere. But rather than getting in somewhere, folks, offers were being retracted at that time who got analyst roles and early positions at these top Wall Street banks or accounting firms. So it was like one of the worst times to graduate and try to get a position on Wall Street as a young analyst. So... Through my research, I found this diversity internship program that allows this backdoor into Wall Street. And then if you make it, you make it once you're in. And they were paying $20,000 a year. So after taxes, you're at like 10, 12 grand. I was making four or five times that at the bar a year. I was making more than my parents, right? And I'm like, this, this makes no sense. Why would I do this, right? And there was one mentor who was like, you have to understand it's not about what you're making now. It's about what you're going to make later and who you're going to be and who you want to be, right, in your profession. You're just thinking about the right now, right? Like, do you want to be making what you're making now at the bar five years from now? And I was like, no, absolutely not. So that's what then led me to apply to the program and figure out um, how to get in and, and take much, 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 much less pay. For some time, but then it, it, it absolutely worked out in the long run. And back to your question. So, yeah, around 2010, 2011, uh, Roadmap Canada started to bring some attention to diversity and inclusion, set up employee resource groups. And I was I asked to become an officer of the Multicultural Employee Alliance Group, a part of the different resource groups they set up for diversity and inclusion. And I was tasked with figuring out top 10 to 15 cultural events that occur in employees' lives throughout the year and how we can help foster and celebrate them in the workplace uh, to bring attention to, to, the, to those celebrations and, and those meanings behind them. Mm-hmm. So it, it was pretty interesting. Uh, it was a pretty interesting time for a couple of years until I left the firm a few years later. I was pretty involved in that. So, And one of the biggest ones of the year was Diwali. I was, I was tasked with making sure that, you know, we had an event for that and we went through different backgrounds and meetings and and um, had people share their stories related to that celebration and stuff like that. So, so for, for those listeners who don't know what Diwali is, can you maybe share maybe a minute or two about what Diwali is and, and so that we can help people to build a perspective on that holiday? 
I think the, the the most simplest way to look about it look at it is celebrating just light in our lives and how much it affects our day to day. And there's so many more deeper, detailed meanings of it. But that within itself is just celebrating light in and out throughout our lives is how I would describe it in the simplest way and, and why it's so important, right, to all of us. I, I love the simplicity of that because I've, I've heard many people attempt to talk about Diwali, Festival of Lights, this, that, the other, but, you know, celebrating light. And I think it's a perfect segue to inner wealth. Like maybe talk about what that means to you because I feel like there's some light to that as well. Oh, thanks, man. I mean, I think this is... Uh, what I've found for me personally to now become a lifelong journey of mine. I always put so much significance on external wealth, things, right? Things that we have in our life that shows us having quote unquote success, which is all external. It's not internal. It's what you have, what you wear, what you own, you know, wh where you take your pictures with yourself or your family or your friends all these things that show you that you quote unquote made it right. That, that my life was chasing that. Right. And the more I got it, the more I wanted it. Right. The more I got it, the more I wanted. And it would be like a day of satisfaction to get that brand new car or that watch or take that trip or get that bonus. And then I would feel so somewhat empty a little bit after a little time passed. Right. And I've been just trying to do this deep journey on like who I want to be and what I want to give and who I can serve rather than what I can get. And that kind of led me towards um, deciding on resigning from my position on Wall Street over the last year or two. I've been kind of playing with the idea in my head as I do this self-discovery. And I think that if you're truly happy on the inside and you have that inner wealth on your purpose, on where you're going and who you're serving, just generally speaking, it will bring you so much more happiness and more actual wealth than any external thing can actually bring you. And so that's kind of now my shift and my focus to try to focus and think about that and bring more of that in my life rather than too many things that I focus on external. I think that's beautiful. And, and, and it's part of that journey because I know that you're very heavy into philanthropy and helping um the the small business owner through some of the things that you've done in New York City, you know, is is that being part of the journey to get you to this point of being like instead of chasing things but chasing that inner happiness, that inner wealth, is that part of that journey as well? Yeah, I found early on that making time for not only just charitable giving but actually giving your time without expecting something in return always brought me some happiness. So I always made some time for that. So the, one of the huge benefits of working on Wall Street is that they always have some charitable monies available. And then if you decide to generally tap that, you have to put in time, you have to put in effort, you have to fill out applications and you know go about the whole process, right? So something I did while early on in Royal Bank of Canada is that they had these funds and I tapped them to give to, um, to food banks throughout New York City and three of them, one in Harlem, one downtown, one in Chelsea. And every year they would come out with these funding options, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000, but you had to participate in, you know, giving them something and not just giving them money, right? So I would set up these volunteer events. Everyone would come and serve folks food at the food banks. And then the organization would give it a large, a decent 
donation, right? So I started doing that every single year at these food banks, and then that then evolved into what else can I do? Because it really brought me happiness. And I think it's all about balance. It's just not doing too much of that or not doing you know, or the opposite, right? And then it led me to do to partner up with a professor at a university in South Carolina where they do micro credit loans to small business operators in Haiti. And then went out there and did a mission trip and gave 150 to 250 micro credit loans. We're talking like 200 to 250 at a time at like 2% versus them paying 20% to a loan shark because they can't go to a normal bank. And just it just led me to all these different things, right? And then the COVID rapid testing that I, I sent over to you to potentially do it at a few stores that I own operate out of New York City. I just feel like the more that you do that, the more you're serving others and not just serving yourself. And it's just making sure you make some time for that. It doesn't have to be tons of time. Um, and then it just becomes a part of your life, right? And I think that is absolutely a part of it. Well, making sure you're serving others without some, expecting something in return throughout your life, you know, however you want to find that balance. I love that, man. I wish more people could see the value of providing some of their time and maybe some of their resources. And even if you don't have the resources, you know, everyone's got time. That's the one thing that I know yeah. we all have regardless, right? Yeah. I mean, whether you have a dollar in your bank account, a negative balance or a million bucks, it really doesn't matter. Everyone has 24, 7, 365. It's the one great common denominator. So I love that you choose to give of yourself, not just of your wealth. And, and that speaks to inner wealth. You know, one of the other things um, you, you had mentioned uh, in, in our uh, bio questionnaire was mental health. Do you, do you yeah. want to maybe touch on why that's important to you? Yeah, I have found that uh, I've, all these things are uh, interconnected. So when I say that mental, emotional, and physical health, all three are interconnected. And if one's out of whack, generally all three are out of whack. It doesn't even, you don't need to have all three out of whack. And so if you don't take out some personal time for yourself, whether it be vacation, whether it be meditation, whether it be uh, taking out time for your family, then the other areas will suffer. If you don't exercise and have somewhat of a clean diet, I'm not saying super clean. I'm not saying it has to be incredibly regimented all day, every day, but just some sort of a balanced diet, then other areas of your life will falter, right? If you don't maintain healthy relationships with others, then the other areas. So mental, physical, and emotional, I think are so, th these aspects of our health affect every other aspect of our life. And I found that if I fall off on my diet, then other areas lack. When I fall off on exercise, other areas lack. So a part of me with this resignation is to now make more time for my mental health, for my physical health, for my emotional health. Whereas before I wouldn't make that time, you know, and also growing, growing in areas that you may want to grow. Like I really want to learn Spanish and that's going to be a huge goal of mine now to learn another language as well. So, but I mean, I've been blessed with, the privilege of being able to take some time now and do these things after working hard and, you know, getting myself in a financial position to do. That's so. amazing, man. I think that's beautiful. And one of the cool things about you is you have this podcast. So when I was sort of ideating, I want to start something. We were talking around that time and you're like, dude, the one piece of advice I could give you is just do it right. Like, I mean, I spent too much time doing this, doing that. And I, and I went back to Kelly and I was like, you know what, let's just roll. Whatever we're going to do, let's just roll with it. And here we are today recording, you know, a, a little right. while later. And 
I want to thank you for that because it really helped to uh, light a fire, if you will, to just say, you know what, we could plan this till we're blue in the face, but let's just, you know, figure out the pieces, put it together, jump on and start having conversations and hopefully something beautiful happens. So thank you so much for that. Your podcast is called Fear is a Liar. I love that. Why did you decide to come up with that name? Uh, why? So I read that on a Pinterest image like 10 years ago and it just, it was a graffiti in a tunnel and someone had it in big bold letters and it just resonated with me like 10 years ago. And I was on like a self discovery sort of, uh, sorry, I was on a vacation like two years ago, whatever. And I was having some self discovery and I was like, you know, I really feel like fear has held me back in so many aspects of my life. I've been, I'm grateful and I'm thankful for what I've been able to achieve and everything that I've been blessed with, but I still feel like I held back. And I was like, just, just, I had it eating at me, like between my, my career, between my businesses, even though I've done stuff, I felt like I could have done more. I felt like I held back. I felt like I, I still had so much potential in me. Right. And I read this book by this guy named uh, Joe Serio on fear. And he talked about all these things and how so many people deal with this. And I literally had a breakdown. I'm like, it, 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 it's literally just this one thing, right? So stress, anxiety, depression, um, all these other things he defined as all stemming from one thing. And that's fear, fear of an outcome, fear of something happening that hasn't happened yet or something happening again that's happened to you in the past, right? And and it just hit me and I was like, wow, this is something I not only wanna learn and talk to people about how they've handled it in their personal and professional lives, but I wanna take what they share with me and share it with others so that it provides potentially not only value to me, but others as well. So that's how the, the ideation of the name came together and the purpose of the show. Came that's together. amazing. I love that. Let me ask you, I mean, it's, it's, it's not easy and I always find it. Um, I find it interesting when someone who has attained so much success says I'm walking away from it all. What was that experience like for you, you know, leading up to, to writing that resignation letter and, and saying, I'm going to, I'm going to bet on me. I'm going to take a chance on me. What, what was that like? So it definitely, I'm happy to describe it. It definitely was not a quick decision. It took me maybe three, four wow. years to get to typing that letter. And that was realizing that I, I wasn't working for a purpose of mine. I wasn't working for something that actually made me happy or that I enjoyed. I was very much focusing on the income, the stability, the insurance, the profile, the resume, the accolades, all these things that constantly, I realized that I don't, I don't want those things. I wanted those things, but I don't want them anymore. What I want is to be super excited. What I want to feel is like, I'm serving myself and others in a way that genuinely makes me happy, right? And I kept telling myself, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, and then I never did it. You know, life's pressures hit you between rent, family, kids, uh, everything else, right? You know, and you can always tell yourself a story about why it's not a good idea to take the risk. So then it turned into, okay, 
I got to stop talking myself out of this and do a risk assessment and figure out where do I need to be personally and financially to make this leap, right? And the biggest challenge I struggled with is that I, as, as being an entrepreneur at heart, I love to be doing a million things at a time, but that also can really work against you. And it has worked against me. So then it turned into a conversation of, well, what am I going to do with my life? And I'm like, well, I don't have that defined just yet. So then that's another factor that held me back. And then finally I just said, okay, this is how much money I'm going to need to feel comfortable to take that break and figure out what I'm going to do in six to 12 months, let's say. And finally, 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 I mustered up the courage to accept that, put myself in that position and then do it and then have the love and support from my wife, of course, to go and do it. Because if I had the pressure of someone saying, Hey, I don't really feel comfortable with you leaving your job while we have the babies and I'm still not working, you know, that could put a lot of pressure on a partner. Right. And I finally had to just figure out, oh, well, well, this is what will keep us comfortable in order for me to do it. And once I get there, I'll do it. And then we were able to do it. So it's, um, it's scary, man. It's, it's, uh, it's one thing for sure that I can point to, and I heard this by so many people on YouTube and people I've spoken to and mentors and everything. It's, I couldn't live with that regret five, 10, 15, 20 years from now that I just stuck it out for the stability and it wasn't necessarily something I wanted to do anymore. And look, I, I know for anyone maybe listening to this who might have similar feelings, it's not that simple because you got to put yourself in a financial position so that you can do it. So the key is getting yourself there, right? Or getting yourself oh, close man. to there. You know, it's, it's so funny because I kind of did the opposite. I just sort of said, this is what I want to do. And, and there was a lot of really tough financial times getting to a point and then finally it just kind of dissipated. And then we didn't have to think about money. Right. But it, it wasn't always like that. And, I know that this time is one of the most trying times for people because it's like, what am I going to do? How am I going to do it? Right. And the good thing for you is that you put a plan in place. You had it structured. You figured out the numbers. You had, you know, your stakeholder conversation with your wife, which is important because, you know, that's the family unit and you figured it out, man. So I'm so proud of you, dude. I, I can't wait to see what is next for Ronnie Gianni. And and do you know what's next? Like or is it just like we're we're going to learn Spanish and we're going to figure out a couple of things? Do you know what the next step is? Honestly, right now is making sure over the next few months that I focus on my personal growth between learning new things, getting into a serious exercise regimen which I've already started, my diet, uh time for mindfulness. These things are like really 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 important for me to to get into place. And recently realizing that I definitely have a lot of ADD um, tendencies and figuring out a way to start addressing those in a healthy way. Because I think all the craziness that I've done in between business and working in finance has kind of masked that. And now it's kind of coming out, especially working from home for a year has been very, very challenging for me. So now it's that vulnerable situation to kind of address it is like really important right now. I love that. I think, you know, taking time for oneself is super important. You know, 2020, I was working a lot, like ridiculous hours. And I think we sh we had talked about that a little bit as well. And it wasn't until having COVID and 
having a, you know, what felt for me like a near death experience, but coughing up blood and starting to realize like life is really short. What does this all mean? And uh, you talked about mindfulness. I really, for me, I actually started taking meditation as a daily practice. Have you tried that? I have tried it in the past. The biggest issue I have is the consistency, mm. sticking to it. But yeah, I think it. I think it. I think it's absolutely great to do it. I think one way that will help me get back into it is trying to bring yoga back in and trying to have like a hybrid between the two. I think is is huge. That's amazing. Um, but getting getting back in the gym recently has been a game changer for me. You're on a life journey, yeah. man. I, I, I'm loving it. I'm excited for yeah, you. Yeah. I think there's great things ahead for you without a doubt. Let me ask you this. How do you think as a society we can move closer to a culture of belonging and respect? I think um, the number one way, which is absolutely happening now, and um, all the different political pressures have helped us in this sense, it's awareness, making sure that the key word is awareness, right? So right now, let's say diversity, equity, and inclusion are one of the biggest missions for the biggest companies in the world, not just US, not just Canada, but in the world right now. It's, it's of utmost importance, right? And they're setting targets and numbers that they have to hit now. Whereas before it was a, it was, a, it would be nice. It, it would be nice to have this sort of mix of folks in the workplace and having these resources available to them, having attention to these things. And I think the awareness now that has ramped up through all the unfortunate things that have happened uh, has built up that awareness. Uh, unfortunately, it took a lot of negative things happening in order to get there. But I think it's that's that's the key. Yeah, I agree with you. Awareness is a huge one, um, you know, but it's interesting because we, we talk a little bit about, you know, and that's why I kind of brought up the Gianni thing because, you know, I heard this podcast and I was like, was this individual even aware that they were mispronouncing your name or, and, and, or is it just something that happens because it happens to me all the time and I used to let it go. And then, you know, I thought to myself, you know what, maybe I should say something because if I don't say something, then this person probably doesn't even know that they're saying it wrong. Right. And I mean, it's that awareness and, and maybe people becoming more aware and, I think there's a way to do it right and there's a way to do it wrong. And I think that as long as we approach it in the right way, then, you know, hopefully we can make some change because as we were finding out in today's show that we are a lot more alike than we are different in terms of like some of the things that we've had to go through as brown men living in North America, right? Yeah. Being immigrants or coming um, from a country where we don't have typical North American names, right? So. Yeah. Thank you so much for your vulnerability. I really appreciate it. I, I hope it helps our guests really open up their perspective and lens on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Ronnie, where can people find you? Uh, the best way to find me and my work is my website, which is my name, ronniegiani.com, R-O-N-N-I-E-G-Y-A-N-I.com. That's amazing. And we're going to include that in the show notes. Ronnie, once again, thank you, my friend. You have been a pleasure to have on this show. I'm truly, truly excited for the journey ahead. I mean, becoming a vice president on Wall Street is no small order, but what's to come is what excites me because it will be truly making an impact on this world. And inner wealth is something that I too can subscribe to because at the end of the day, 
I tell people all the time, money only solves about 90% of your problems. The other 10%, doesn't matter how much money you have, you can't throw it at it. It is truly inner wealth. So thank you, my friend. I appreciate you being on the show. I hope you have a fantastic day. Thank you so much for having me, man. Have a good one. Absolutely. Take care. Yeah, stay in touch. Thank you so much for listening. Our show is sponsored by Discourse. We build belonging into the DNA of DEI. You can visit us on the web at discourseagency.com or check out our YouTube channel, Discourse Agency. Make sure you hit that subscribe button, leave a review, drop a comment, and most importantly, share it with a fellow human. Thank you so much for your support. And remember, your truth is your experience. Bye for now.